Amen. Our uh, scripture reading this morning is going to be from Psalm 137. Um, so we, we started last week a series on the book of Psalms, and last week uh, we started with the Psalm of Praise, number 148, that, um, that simply uh, tells us uh, to uh, give praise to God for who He is and what He has done in our lives. And um, Psalm 137 is very different. Um, it's a psalm of lament. And psalms of lament are, uh, are used in times when, um, when uh, we're struggling with grief or doubt or anger, and we need to bring our complaint before God. And so uh, this psalm of lament um, is, uh, is, very, is very different than that praise the Lord, praise the Lord uh, psalm that, that we talked about last week. And it's a psalm that doesn't, uh, doesn't get used a lot in worship. Uh, it's not in uh, the, uh, the lectionary, um, that, that group of, of Bible passages that are recommended for different Sundays in worship. Um, if, we, uh, if we turn to the call and response section of our United Methodist hymnal, uh, it's in there, but only the first three verses, uh, because uh, there's a lot in this psalm that is, um, well, to modern ears, frankly, it's kind of barbaric. There's there's a lot in it that uh, that's uh, hard to hear, hard to uh, hard to deal with, and um, but I don't think. I don't think we should just sort of sweep it under the rug and not read it. I think, uh, in fact, I believe that there's some ancient wisdom here in this psalm that we need a little bit of for our own day and time. And so um, I'm going to share what that wisdom is with you. Uh, but first, I want us to get into the proper frame of mind to read this psalm. I want us to sort of understand where the psalmist is coming from. See, I think sometimes we, uh, we hover over um, words of Scripture and we sort of, sort of stand in judgment of Scripture when God calls us to enter into Scripture with humility. So sometimes we just have to use our imaginations and see the sights, hear the sounds, smell the smells, whatever's going on, and just let Scripture speak for itself. So I'm going to give you a little background, and then we're going to read this psalm together. Um, so the writer of this psalm is a temple musician. Um, and temple musicians in ancient Israel could be both uh, uh, men and women, young, old, rich, poor. The only barrier to entry was, were you a good musician? And so the writer of this psalm was a, a temple musician, and their job would have been uh, on, on high feast days uh, to, to, give, uh, to play music and give songs of celebration. Uh, in times of national mourning, they would have sang laments. Uh, they would have sang special songs for the coronation of a new king. And then just on ordinary days when ordinary people came to the temple to offer their sacrifices, the temple musicians would have been playing in the temple helping people feel close to God by using their talents. 
imagine being a temple musician and, and, and you're just in the temple every day as a part of your life. And every day you stand outside of that curtain dividing the Holy of Holies where God resides from the rest of us. And every day you know you're in the presence of God. Then imagine what it would be like for you personally when the Babylonian army came in, invaded Jerusalem, tore down all the buildings, and burned the temple to the ground. Imagine how that would have affected you. It would have come after a two-year-long siege. In the ancient world, a siege was, was when an army parked outside of the city gates and they didn't let anyone in or let anyone out. And, and so uh, the food supplies would begin to dwindle. Um, uh, people would begin to starve. There would be deaths. This went on for two years. Years And as a temple musician, you were probably in charge of playing the sad music at all of those funerals. By the time uh, the, the Babylonian army came in through the city walls, you were probably sick of dirges and funeral music. Imagine what it would have been like to see the temple, the, the place where you were every day worshiping God, God's home on earth destroyed, up in flame. Imagine how that would have affected you. Then, you and all the other temple musicians were put in bronze chains and led away from Jerusalem to Babylon, a place you'd never been in your entire life. It was a 900-mile journey. It took four months to walk. And you marched it in chains, holding your harp the whole time. Then, one day, as you're getting close to Jerusalem, you, uh, getting close to Babylon, you stop by one of these streams. And as you sit there by the stream, uh, the guards, your, your captors, uh, begin mocking you and tormenting you, and, and they force you to sing one of the old temple songs. And this wave of grief comes over you. How can we sing songs about Jerusalem when Jerusalem lies in ruins? How can we sing songs of praise to God when God's home on earth is destroyed? How can we sing songs about what it means to be a Hebrew when the Hebrew people are about to be no more? So you're dealing with this grief. And then you have this anger, not just against the Babylonians, but also against, against uh, the neighboring tribes that joined in when the city walls broke, like the Egamites. The Egamites were this neighboring tribe, and, and when the city walls broke, they came in too. They came in and, and tore down things and raped and pillaged and all that stuff. They joined in. And imagine the anger and the hurt you carry in your heart for them, for what they did. They probably joined in right before everyone was led off in chains. Everyone who couldn't make the journey was killed. The very elderly, the very young. 
Try and keep all that in your mind for a second while I read to you Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and gashes them against the rocks. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. So what do we do with a psalm like this? With a Bible passage like this, that's so raw and honest and real? Ernest Hemingway once described writing as just uh, uh, opening up a vein and bleeding onto a piece of paper. That's the way this psalm feels. It's hard to preach a three-point sermon on it. It's hard to find some kind of moral example of, of here's how you dash the infants in your life, right? It's a hard thing to do to, to, to get a little nugget of moral in there because there's nothing moral in here. It's just pain and grief and hurt and doubt and anger. It's, it's one person's message in a bottle over over uh, 2,500 years to us today. And we can still feel the hurt and the pain and anger in those words. There's a word for this. This expressing your complaint before God. This expressing your anger before God. This, 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 this bleeding before God. It's called Lamentation. And believe it or not, there's a lot of it in the Bible. So we Christians don't like sometimes, we don't like lamentation. We don't like, uh, we, we like this idea that everyone has got to have the joy of the Lord in their heart all the time. And everyone's got to be happy all the time. Or somehow maybe it, it, it's not real to us. And yet the Bible insists that lamentation is a thing. That it's a good thing. That it's a necessary thing. 60% of the Psalms in the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament. You've got the book of lamentations in the Bible, right? Read that sometime. There's nothing terribly uh, redemptive in there. It's just a, a lot of, God, why did you let this happen to us? Read the book of Job. Lament after lament. Why did you let this happen to me? Here's my pain. Here's my anger. 
Read Ecclesiastes. There's lament in there. All through the prophets, lamentation is necessary. Think about the great heroes of the Bible. Moses, Psalm 90. It's actually in your pastor's devo this week. Psalm 90 is, is, is written by Moses. It's a lamentation. King David, when, uh, when, Saul, um, when, when Saul is defeated in battle and then he falls on his sword, King David goes through a season of lamentation. Uh, he sings this beautiful song in the book of Samuel. O oh Lord, your glory has fallen on the heights. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Jesus. And he's dying on the cross. He reaches back into the book of Psalms and he quotes Psalm 22, a lament. He quotes it in the language that he learned it, Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think there's some wisdom in here for us if we will listen. See, for, for David, on the other side of that season of lamentation, there was kingship. He got to be king over Israel. For Moses, there was the promised land. For Jesus, on the other side of lamentation, there was resurrection. There was life. But we have to go through the lamentation to get there. See, you and I cannot move on to what God has in store for us now until we, until we properly grieve the past. We need to lament so that we can let go. It's necessary. And, and people in ancient times realized that. And we've sort of forgotten that. We, we live in this society where we're all going 100 miles an hour all of the time. And we insist that everyone else does the same. And so you're going through this tragedy in your life. We give you a couple days off of work and then we expect you to be over it. But there's something in our soul that knows that we need lamentation, that we need to properly express our grief and our complaint and our hurt before God before we can let go and move on. Lamentation is necessary. Have you ever, so maybe you're, um, you're grieving the loss of a loved one or, or you're recovering from a traumatic experience or, uh, or, or you're going through a, a, a time of, of, of disease or trial or, or something like that. And then someone comes to you with a word of comfort. Like, um, God is in control. Everything happens for a reason. They're with Jesus now. And your first instinct is to pop that person in the nose. Anyone ever experienced that? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only singer here. But I feel like someone else may have experienced that before. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Sometimes those words, as true as they are, even though we know up here that they're true, sometimes those words are cheap comfort. 
because we haven't gone through the lamentation yet. We haven't gone through the lamentation. See, in biblical times, they understood that you go through the lamentation first and then you receive the comfort. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But you have to go through the lamentation first. In ancient times, they realized that, that, that lamentation was necessary. There were, peop- there were paid lamenters. This is how they made their money. You, 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 uh, when you had a funeral and, and, and the body was being taken to the place it was going to be uh, buried, you, you would pay these ladies to wail. <laughs> And, and they, would, uh, they would follow the body and they would, they, they would cry aloud and, and, and wail um, as, as the body was being carried from one place to another. Lament was very important. It was very important to express your grief, what you were going, what you were feeling, what you are doing, right? It, it, it's important to express that. And so, uh, and so in, in, in ancient Israel, you had this period of lament. Uh, if you had lost someone, you would wail, you would express your grief, and no one was allowed to comfort you during your period of lament. If people came to visit, they would just sit there and they would be silent. You can read about this in the book of Job. Before, uh, before Job's friends uh, 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 speak to him, they have to stay silent for a period of days. And then, when the time of lament was over, then people could offer you words of comfort. Because then they were earned. See, we have to lament. We have to properly express our pain and our anger and our grief so that we can let go. And we try and take a shortcut. Because in modern society, we don't like to feel the things we're feeling, right? And so we just try and stuff it down and we take a shortcut and we go straight to the comfort. But it's still down in here. It's still bothering us. And so we wind up with this complicated grief that never really goes away because we can't let go. We have to recover the lost art of lamentation. I think there may be some of us here today that that can locate something in our heart or something in our experience that we never quite lamented, that we've just kind of held on to, hoping it would go away by itself, but we're still dragging it with us. And maybe we're being called to actually go into a season of lamentation where we express what it was to lose that thing or that perp- or that person or that, that purpose or, 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 or that season of life, whatever it was. And we have to lament and we have to tell God what it is we're going through. We have to give words to it. And so I think there's some wisdom about how we can lament well. The first thing I would say is let yourself feel everything. Feeling is not a sin. Feeling is not a sin. 
It is not a sin to be angry with God. It is not a sin to be hurt. It is not a sin to have a complaint or to be frustrated. Feeling is not a sin. In fact, that stuff has to be expressed so it can be let go. Give yourself permission to feel the things that you feel. That would be the first thing I say. Give yourself permission to feel the things you feel. Be patient with yourself. It takes a while. It's not four days off work and then you're good to go. It takes a while. Be patient with yourself. Get support. Here, here, here's the thing. In the ancient world, lamentation was a communal act. It was something we all did together. That's why you paid those whalers. Because we're all supposed to lament together. We're all supposed to go through this thing together. And we have this weird modern idea that we're supposed to deal with our own stuff, our own selves, right? And, uh, and not really express it to anybody else. When we, we are pack animals, we are created by our creator to mourn together. I mean, that, we've been doing that since we came out of the trees, and now we've got this idea that, that, that we're just supposed to do it alone. The other thing I would say is don't make major changes. Something people want to rush out and do when they're, when they're going through this season of lamentation, and, and it's a way of distracting yourself and not feeling the things you're supposed to feel. And, and, and the thing I would say is, is in the ancient world, people set aside time. They set aside time to lament, and life didn't go on until they were done with it. Right? Don't, don't make major changes. Take care of yourself. That's the other thing I would say when you're going through this. Take care of yourself. Give yourself breaks. It doesn't have to be all wailing all the time. Right? Get out and see people. Um, drugs and alcohol just slows down the process, right? It, 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 it can be a good way of avoiding the pain, but when you're avoiding the pain, you're stuffing it down and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. To take care of yourself. Find a way to express yourself. King David was a poet. And we're all uh, much richer because he uh, took pen and paper. Well, he didn't take pen and paper, but he, he took whatever he took in papyrus. And, uh, and he committed his thoughts to parchment or something, right? He committed his thoughts. He expressed himself. For some of us, it's music. For some of it's us, it's just um, closing the door and yelling at the ceiling, or yelling at the sky. For some people, golf is worship. I don't know why, but for some people it is, right? Find a way to express yourself. It's important. We've got this funny idea that God can't take our criticism. God can't take our complaint. God can't take our hurt. When God is the one that is prescribing this to us. God gave us scripture. God gave us this example. This is what we're supposed to do. We're talking about this in Bible study. It's like this. Um, When a woman is in labor, 
she's allowed to say certain things to her husband that she's normally not allowed to say, right? Um, I know from my own experience, a lot of hurtful things were said in that room to me about me and my mother and all kinds of things, right? Everyone that I tell that to nods. Yeah, I've been there. That's part of it. You're supposed to just stand there and take it, right? Because that's the least you can do, right? That's part of it. Well, for God, the season of lamentation is part of it. You yelling your curses at God, you bringing your complaint, you saying, how long are you going to treat me like this? How, how long are you going to let me go through this? Why, why is all this pain going on? That's part of it. And we have to lament so that we can let go. We have, we have to part with the past so that we can see what God is doing in our present. It's part of it. And we have to give ourselves permission to feel the things we feel and to express them before God. And the final thing I would say about lamentation, don't get stuck. Lamentation is like a tunnel we go through Right? It's not the place we pitch our tents. It's not where we stay. And, and a lot of people get stuck in that season of lamentation and they just kind of they stay there. And, and um, the, uh, the, the fancy word for that is complicated grief, right? Is when you just sort of stay in that cycle and you don't know how to get out of it. Lamentation is a season, but it's followed by comfort. And at some point, you've got to let people start comforting you again. At some point, you've got to go, go back and enter society again. At some point, you've got to give yourself permission to be happy again, to see what's going on in the present. Because true comfort follows lamentation. So we read Psalm 137 uh, that was about... Um, the experience of exile. I want to read to you really quickly Psalm 126. It was about the experience of coming home after exile, what it was like uh, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and have your, uh, your fortunes restored. Here are these words of comfort. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion... We were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out carrying goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. We sow in tears and we reap in joy. But there's no shortcut. We have to go through the lamentation first. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I've been thinking about those words in Psalm 137 
how it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we hung our harps. Right? They put up their musical instruments in the trees because how can we possibly carry on and sing songs during this time of lamentation? Some of us need to hang our harps for a little while. Some of us need to take time to, to feel the things that we need to feel. All of us probably have something in our life that we didn't properly deal with and that we didn't properly grieve. What's the matter, buddy? They're right over there. So we're going to try and play some music here. We'll, we'll see what happens. And uh, we've got some harps for you. Maybe you need to hang your harp for a season and, uh, and spend some time telling God how you feel about things going on in your life. Um, I'm going to invite you to come take a harp as your permission to do that. And you can feel free to kneel at the altar and pray. Take it with you, put it in your Bible, or find some place to hang it up on a hook or something. And then when you're ready to let go of it, bring it back one Sunday and drop it in the plate. You know what this symbolizes to you. For all of us, it's something different. But you have permission. You have a responsibility to feel the way you feel and to let God have it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> he, he can be our professional whaler. <laughs>